Father, I just pray for today, Lord, that right now in this place, Holy Spirit, come. We usually just pray this for worship, but Holy Spirit, come and fall in this place. Do a work in each of our hearts, God, that it not be my words and my thoughts and something human, Lord. But, Lord, I just pray that you would do a work, Lord, that you would do a work in each and every single one of us, Lord, in the very place that I have no idea about and you know everything about. Lord, I pray that you lead people out of prisons today, God. You lead people out of wrong thinking today, God. Lord, I pray that we leave this place on a different level, God. That we leave this place walking out tomorrow differently. In your mighty name, amen. So the the title for today is uh, Story. Acts 22, that we'll go into. It's very good to be here with you guys. The past couple of days, I've been at the Justice Conference and how God so often works it. A lot within the Justice Conference was actually about stories and the power of stories. I'm going to be sharing a bit more about that, but it is a fantastic conference. It's a challenging conference. I can't think of a more challenging conference I've ever been to. Some of the stuff that you kind of get exposed to there, it's, you couldn't even imagine that that kind of stuff happens but also amazing hope to see what God's actually doing on the front lines and so I encourage you guys go next year to to the Justice Conference. So this week we're going to be mainly in Acts 22, I've called it Acts, well I've called it Story, Acts 22. Some of you guys who are very astute may have noticed we ended Acts 21 before the end of Acts 21 last week. So we're actually going to pick up at the beginning of that. It was just a natural break. And you may have remembered that it's Paul and he's on his way to Jerusalem and he goes up to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem and and they all say, hey Paul, everyone here is pretty mad with you. Well there's a lot of believers actually here who believe in Jesus but they're passionate about the law and they're annoyed with you because actually they've heard that you are teaching the Jews in the Gentile lands that you'd have to follow follow Moses and he does that whole ceremonial thing for a week and we ended with this riot that's breaking out and then remember just in line with that prophecy of Agabus he's put in chains by the Romans to kind of protect him and they get him out so that is where we're going to be picking up. And this whole chapter is really Paul stood there on the steps. He asked the Roman centurion, can I share with them? Can I speak to them? And it's him sharing his story. You know, guys, we all tell ourselves a story. Everyone has a story, whether you think you do or not. Everyone has a story. Everyone's telling themselves a story. Sometimes people live their lives less than it could be because they have been told a story by somebody else which is false and not true. You know, things like, you can't do it. You're, you're stupid. You, you'll never amount to anything. If you've ever seen the film The Help, the power of the words that the helper says to the little girl that she's looking after. You know, you're smart, you're important, and you're kind yeah it's just so powerful you know yeah at the justice conference i'll share a few of the stories you can have a false story of an individual but then this false story about just a culture a society and so there's a lot of asylum seekers sharing and one guy was sharing about how he went to 15 different houses with his hong kong wife to try and rent the place and as soon as they found out he was an african they said no sorry we can't have you here sorry africans they make too much mess, they're too dirty. There's this general wrong story, wrong picture of guys who are here 
not even wanting to be here, actually. They're just having to flee from their homes as asylum seekers. Some people, though, grow up hearing a gospel-centered story, a great story. You know, that you're a child of God, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, that you're great, that no matter what happens, just go for it. We believe in you. Go for it. The stories we tell ourselves, the stories we are told, are powerful. Our stories are powerful. And today, I'm not going to be speaking about just kind of positive mental thinking. You know, like, let's make up a really fun story and like, woo, let's, let's do that. And let, let's go down that, that road. You know, people who think they're Peter Pan often end up dramatically hurting themselves, right? That it's not about that. I'm speaking about when our story, what we're living in, meets his story. And that's one of the big reasons why I'm so keen with our like, home groups, the new home group system we're starting, which is very different to what I've experienced with home groups in the past, where they're much smaller groups and we're dealing with a lot bigger chunks of scripture at a time because it builds up not just this micro-focus, but over the weeks, the micro-focus, but also this bigger picture of God's story, of his story. Okay, guys, so today we're going to go into Acts 21, 37, right the way through for this first part to 22, 21. Make yourselves comfortable, guys. I'm not going to jump between verses today. I'm just going to read you a section and then speak more about it. Okay, so get comfortable and I'll read to you. Boys and girls. No. Okay, ready? So this is where we left off. It says, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, remember, everyone's outside the temple trying to kill him. Paul says, may I say something to you? The commander says, do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? And Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Now I'm just going to interject a few bits as we go through, just like asides to do with stories and sharing our stories. How you present your story is important. How you present what you're going to say is important. How you present your life is important. If you want people to listen, you've got to get their attention. You have to speak in their language and I don't just mean like English or Chinese, you've got to speak in their language so that they understand. You know, Charles Spurgeon, this famous preacher, like they call him the Prince of Preachers, the amazing preacher 100 years ago or so in the UK, everyone loved him because of the way he spoke, because he actually grew up preaching in country parishes, just speaking the language of the people for one thing. And the way he spoke was using illustration and all kinds of different things, engagement and stories, whereas in the preaching of the day was a lot less engaging. He had the biggest church on earth at the time, thousands of people coming to faith at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Anyway, it carries on. Then Paul said, verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. That's Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel, and I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Remember I'd said way back at the beginning, Gamaliel is like the guy. He's like the super, you know, he's he's like a big deal. 
one of the main kind of Jewish leaders of that era. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Big statement, right? I persecuted the followers of this way, speak about Christianity, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. See, he doesn't just tell them, you know, guys, look, you're wrong, I'm right, look at my story and why I'm so right. He actually links in with their story. He shows actually how his history and where they're at now is so, is kind of shared. And actually when we share our stories, especially when we're sharing the gospel, it's so powerful to be able to link in, bring that person into the journey of the gospel story. Not just sharing like dry doctrine, but actually bring them into the story of the gospel and where they're at, what you've experienced as well. You know, he's saying to these guys, look guys, you're persecuting me, being this follower of the way, but actually you have no idea the levels of persecution you know I went to. You think you're hardcore, I am super hardcore. Look what I did, you know, I went to Damascus, this city which is miles away, just to get people to bring them back. You think you've just come outside the temple and that's a big deal. He's just being so real with them. And I think actually there's some power in that for us when we share our stories, not trying to create this like perfect, scripted, beautiful like story. Oh, it was so beautiful and I found Jesus and it like, but actually just this rock hard realness where for some people it was like a beautiful flow and that's how it happened. But for a lot of people, it wasn't. And so being real with people, because people are people. People value when you're authentic. Be authentic. So verse 6, it carries on. About noon, as I came near Damascus, he's telling them of the, of the Damascus road story, of when he went up to Damascus to, to rest the believers. It says, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul. That's an amazing statement in itself, isn't it? Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony, your story about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. 
And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. See, guys, notice Paul in sharing his story doesn't hide anything. And it's not, he's, voc- he's vocally sharing it there, but it's, it's recorded in its rawness. He doesn't try and make himself seem like amazing. You know, he doesn't whitewash it. He doesn't go over it and try and make himself look, look, guys, I'm the holy one. God's called me. You need to listen to me. He's highlighting his brokenness. He's, he highlights the part of his story which happened, right? It happened. I can't bury it, but you'll see later he's not defined by it. Be real. We don't need to doctor our stories. And then the Lord said to me, this is verse 21, go, I will send you away to the Gentiles. And that's the end of that section. Have a good week and I'll see it now. Paul shares his story. Paul shares his story, doesn't he? Now, the results of that last sentence that we'll hear when we carry on the rest of the chapter is that everyone goes nuts when they hear about going to the Gentiles and they, they go mental. But anyway, the point is, what I want you to see from this whole thing of Paul there sharing his story, Paul has this one-time opportunity to share with these guys. In this moment, it's not like the synagogue. He doesn't get up and give this like expository preach on the book of Genesis and the revelation of Jesus through the Old Testament. You know, he does that in the synagogue, doesn't he? But what does he do here? He shares his story. His story. It's important that Paul sees that sharing his story can transform that entire situation. And so I want to remind you guys a few things about stories today, about the power of stories, and about how important your story is. My first kind of thought or point just to this is, guys, remember the beauty of your life story. That you guys and how your life has looked up until now, it's not an accident. It's not a surprise to God. He knows God has his hands, doesn't he? God has his hands on humanity. He's not a puppet master and just makes us all love him. And it's just like, oh, that's lovely. We love Jesus. No, I don't want to do that, you know. But we have that free will and choice. But he lives outside of time. It doesn't surprise him. Even when you were far off from God, God saw you. He saw where you were at. Someone may be here thinking, you know, actually, I've really been messing up. I feel like I'm a million miles from God. But he sees you. And he values you. There's this very challenging passage for us in Galatians in understanding this passage in Acts. And it says this, Galatians 1.15 says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased. That God called Paul as a baby. That's crazy. Now, was Paul follow, following God as a baby? No. And where, why is it a hard verse? <laughs> because God doesn't choose to appear to Paul to have this revelation to transform his life and ch- change it around and walk in his ways until the Damascus Road, right? And it wasn't like God couldn't do that in Jerusalem. He had to wait till he got outside the city limits before he had some authority to do that. He chooses to do it on the Damascus Road, but that's after months of persecution. It's after Stephen loses his life. Stephen's martyred, but God's hands 
are on humanity. The, they spoke actually at the Justice Conference about actually, you know, seeing the long picture. They put up a sign and said, don't get a mayfly, which is born and dies within a day, to be your historian, because you'll get a very short view of things. That actually, when we look at God, we have to see the long view. For us, I believe that there's a big part of that's there to see Paul's story because there's so much hope for us. It's not like God only chooses the brilliant and the amazing from birth, but he calls those from birth who are going to mess up, make bad choices, kill people, and then still use them for his glory and make something beautiful out of nothing. See, God took Paul by the hand and they went on to write a beautiful story, a story that we know today very well. You know, God knows your story up until this point, and he may not have appeared in light and knocked you off your horse or your donkey or your motorbike or whatever, you know, and you just gently kind of found him. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't really feel that I am his. I don't really feel like I'm following him. Well, you know, you, you can make that choice to walk towards him today. He's calling you. You know, it may not be just something crazy happens but he's calling us to him. Some of you guys may be here, been through some really hard stuff, done some really hard stuff, you know, bits where you've messed up. He's loved you throughout. Now, if you're here today or you're listening on the podcast or whatever, and you're thinking, you know, God must have abandoned me. I have messed up so much. I have been too bad that God couldn't possibly be interested in me. He couldn't have a hand on my story. Maybe there would be some grace and I would go to be with him when I die, but he couldn't possibly have something awesome for me now. If you think that you need to do a whole load of good now to be good enough to step into relationship with God, to step into the presence of God, to step into the story of God, for him to come into your story, then you know you've missed it because here's the good news. Or you've never heard it. And here's the good news that Jesus came. Jesus came to die on a cross and give you his perfect story. You know, his perfect story of being perfect before the law so that you could be called blameless. He makes you blameless before the Father. There's a brilliant quote, and I'm going to say it a few times from the Justice Conference, is that you're not defined by the worst thing that you have ever done or has ever been done to you. And in the context of the gospel, you know, why is that? Because God doesn't define you like that. You know, when he sees you, he sees a treasure that he paid the ultimate price for. He paid with his life to treasure you, to make you his treasure. You're not defined by the worst thing you've ever done or the worst thing that's ever been done to you. And, the, you know, the challenge for us as church, as Christians, is us who've experienced God loving us in that way, where actually God doesn't treat us and treasure us like the worst thing we've ever done or the worst thing ever done to us. He treasures us like his treasure. And for us as the church called to live in that same place, to call to live in that same part, are we in a place where actually we will love the world, we will love each other, we will love other people? good and bad, where we will love them not defined by the worst thing that's ever been done to them or the worst thing they've ever done. Very challenging, very hard, you know, that we don't refer to people as certain victims, but that actually they're beautiful people made in the image of God. 
And even those who've been driven into this place of doing something, for some reason they thought it was okay to do something horrendous, that we still have the grace that, you know, they find Jesus, they come to church, say, can I be part of your church? You know, that takes massive grace to love them like that. That's massive. So remember, guys, people as the treasure that they are. Never define them as the worst thing that they've ever done or the worst thing ever done to them. You know? Beautiful human beings, not people forced to flee. They're not asylum seekers. They're awesome individuals whom each of you could learn loads from, for example. Yeah, he, he loves you, Jesus, because of your story and also in spite of your story, you know? And that means that we need to love ourselves. Sometimes, for some of you guys, there may be stuff in your past, you need to love yourself over. You need to let it go and not just kind of ignore it, but replace it with the truth, which is his word over you. And this is the big choice, actually, for us all today. You know, as you feel God working in your heart, maybe you're sat there and you feel something stirring. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. You have this choice. Ultimately, we have this choice to either carry on in our own story, to say, actually, God, hold it. This is what I want to do. I know you're saying do that. I've done that once before. It didn't turn out very well. You know, I did that. God said, go to Bible college. And so I said, no, I need to earn lots of money. I went and did a job. I earned no money. And a year later, I sat back in the same seat in church. And God said, do the Bible college. I was like, okay. You know, so... I wouldn't advise it. You lose time. You know how I dislike losing time. The choice that's set before us is are we going to follow him where he says, you know, follow my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Follow my voice. Walk in this story where your story and my story are blending together in this beautiful masterpiece. Or are you just going to run off and do what you think's best? See, we have this choice to live like Paul on the Damascus Road where when we have that moment and we see God where we say to him, and actually the truth is you guys have this choice every single day, where we say, like Paul, Lord, what shall I do? And Paul in that moment decides to put his story into the hands of the creator God, into the hands of the Father. And here's that challenge. Have you put your story into his hands? And it's not actually a one-time decision. It's actually a daily decision that we get up and choose every day to lead our lives, the story of that day, which is making up the, you know, the great masterpiece of our lives, putting it into his hands. And I know, guys, many of us, we do do that. And I encourage you in that continual decision. That It doesn't mean necessarily, that you know, sometimes it does, but it doesn't mean that you have to ask God about every single minute detail. Like, God, where should I go for breakfast today? You know, should I walk on the left side of the street or the right side of the street? We honor God when we make good choices, right? We don't need to go into that much detail. I've done it before, though, and I found an amazing burger restaurant. I was in a foreign city. So God, where's the best place to eat in town? He said, go up the street, go right. And then it's just on there on the left. So I went and I did that. And I got to this place. I went in, bought this burger and fries, came back to the hotel rooms, going up in the lift. And this guy in the lift said, that's the best burger restaurant in the city. I was like, thank you, Jesus. So second kind of thought I just want to throw out to you guys is your story honors God. What's Paul do? He stands up and shares his story. Sometimes it's not easy to share your story. Like, fair enough, 
he's got these guards around him, but he could have been pelted by a rock or something. He isn't interested in his safety and just getting back into like the Roman barracks. He is interested in seeing the lives of those people completely transformed. Why is Paul in the city in the first place? He's come with a massive financial gift to bless the city, to bless those people who are cursing him and trying to kill him. When Paul shares that story, he's not trying to show off about himself. He's pointing to God and he's saying, guys, look what God's done in my life. Look what he can do in your life. Your story has this incredible power, no matter what it is, no matter how mundane and simple you think it is. There are so many wonderful, beautiful facets of it that you can use to honor God, to point others to God and to lead people to him. And the best thing is no one can argue with you about your story because it's your story. You know, no one can say, no, that didn't happen. You didn't feel that. You, guys, you know what? Stories speak to people and stories completely change the world. Stories change lives. But many people, actually many fa- like famous leaders, put their big things that they've done down to a particular book that they've read. Jesus spoke in stories, didn't he, the whole time, so that people get it and it goes into them. People remember stories. You can tell people about like theology and doctrines and all these kind of things and they're great you know but when people hear of lives transformed of what God has done it's different there's there's something that that grips them that when you kind of hear this story it has this power to bring transformation when we were coming back yesterday as I was walking back to the house I was trying to remember this concept about the theology of justice. And I was trying to like go through it in my head. Well, this morning, as I was prepping, God just said, and I'll share it in a minute, God just said, use this story. And it's just boom, the story's there, the whole story. Now, it's just incredible how stories stay in our minds. Stories can change everything. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus speaks to her, doesn't he? She goes back to town, and what does she do? She actually just tells these people, a story. And the, what's the verse say? It says this, in John 4, 39a, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because of the woman's story, because she went back and she just shared what Jesus had done in her life. She said, he's told me everything that I ever did. So your stories are powerful things, pointing people to God, honoring God, God. So think about that. What stories can you share? Sometimes it's the story of your whole life. Sometimes it's an episode in your life. I was saying at the beginning that I'd already started this, I'd done most of the sermon on stories, and then stories became quite a prevalent thing in the Justice Conference, and actually the importance of telling stories and the power of stories as well. And there was a particular emphasis which I chucked in this morning to kind of share with you guys the emphasis of the person whose story it is telling it it's not okay or it's okay to share other people's stories that's fine and I do that a lot you know that but like there is an amazing power when the person whose story it is shares the story and we whilst we were there there was actually these two ladies who lived in America but they're actually Egyptian ladies who live in America and they felt this amazing like call of God they've never been to Iraq but there's if you remember the Yazidi girls who were kind of been taken as sex slaves and imprisoned and they just felt this we got 
got to go and help these Christian sisters. And they just, they went around, they got a load of donations, filled a container with it, and they, um, they just flew to Iraq. And through that, I mean, I'm not going to go into that, that part of the whole story, but they saw a number of girls rescued. And there was one particular girl, and that's what I just want to share with you, the power of the person sharing the story. And we watched this video in a UN hearing of this girl who'd been in captivity, who'd had family members killed, who'd been, who'd been raped, who'd been sold. She mentioned about that, that the fighters were selling the girls between themselves and she managed to escape. And she's there in the UN telling her story. And they were just saying, you know, the power of that is so much more than another politician kind of communicating the story. When you see that the face of somebody and they sit there and share, and it was such a powerful video because you saw world leaders like leaning across there was the prime minister or president i'm not sure what it is of hungary leaning across just holding her hand and just saying hungary stands with you and so many other countries just saying we stand with you and they've gone to the un to really get it recognized that what had happened to the yazidi people was a genocide that girl sharing her story actually in the us in in the uk and in the un changed the world changed the world our stories are powerful. It's just incredible what stories can do. Think what your stories can do. Don't belittle them. The third point I just want to share as well is to remember within the story, it's all one big story, isn't it? That actually it's not compartmentalized really. You've got your story, there's my story. Your story and my story makes our story. And then ultimately, the world is his story, right? That don't forget about the interconnectedness of our stories. That each of us, we don't live in this vacuum. We, we live in a very individualistic society, especially in kind of more capitalistic kind of places, that we can live in such an individualistic society that we forget how interconnected we all are, the power of relationships, the power of story, our stories coming together. And, you know, I just want to add this point for the key purpose of encouraging each other in each other's stories, that we would treasure each other's stories just as much as our own. You know, there's that saying, everyone's a hero in his own or her own story. And whilst in some ways that's true, and you know, like theologically, well, truthfully, Jesus is ultimately our hero, right? He's our king. There is this beautiful truth that Jesus has treasured us, right? Remember I said that, that Jesus has treasured us. He's made us his treasure. He's been willing to die to make you his treasure because you were the only thing. When he was sat there enthroned in light, enthroned in glory, and he looked down, you were the only thing that he didn't have. And so he treasured you enough to give up his glory, to give up his standing there, even to be separated from the Father in that moment on the cross to treasure you, to call you back to him. And so, guys, because God treasures us that much, he treasures you and your life and your story as we walk through life together as church, together as a church community, as a family, and also as part of this larger community, because we don't exist in isolation. We're part of the Saikung community. We're part of the Hong Kong community. I want to encourage you guys to call out the gold in other 
people's stories. When people are doing something great, don't think, oh, I wish I'd done that, you know? Say, that's awesome. I love that. I love what God's doing in you. I love, I love how God's using you in that situation. Encourage each other. You know, and whilst we are all living our own lives, those stories in their interconnectedness, they are making the story. Literally, making a history, making the story of our families, our biological families at home, or our friendship group families, and making the story of our town. It is making, we're creating the story of Hong Kong as we live out each day. And so we see ultimately that all our created stories, they actually make up the story of humanity for our time. And so it's so important that we challenge ourselves and encourage each other to be living in a right story. What is the story that we are living by? Because that changes the world. You know, stories have the power to change the world for good or for bad. In the 1500s, there was this general story that everyone believed that Catholics and Protestants weren't Christians, that they didn't love God and they fought against each other and it led to death and killing and all kinds of horrendous stuff over some doctrinal issues. The story that we live by is so important. What story are you living by today? What's the grand narrative within your life, the stories that you tell yourself, the stories that we tell ourselves about the world, about the way things are. This last weekend at Justice Conference, you know, been challenged in so many different areas to do with the story of the world, that what I, the story about the world that I was telling myself. The stories we tell ourselves about the world, about life, about people, about those who are different from us, aspects within society, they're crucial because it impacts every aspect of our life. You know, we've been telling ourselves stories for thousands of years and it's led to horrors like Nazi Germany and all the persecution and war that came out of that. And also it's led to the most beautiful things the world's seen, such as where finally slavery, well, legally, and let's take the United Kingdom, is abolished during the, during the slave trade back then, although it's still, real slavery is still going on today. Human rights, women's rights. You know, that even that thing that kind of, sometimes people may think, well, that's a lot of money to spend and did it have much point to go and do, but going to the moon, you know, what a beautiful story. What story are you living by? A story told by us? A story told by, maybe by your, your family, and that's going to obviously be to do with culture and society. Are you living by a story that's told to you by your capitalist culture that you live in? You know, I need to earn X amount, I need this job, I need to have this car and this thing and that, and then I'll be happy. Now, all that stuff is fine to have. There's nothing wrong with having those things. They're blessings and they're great. If that's the ultimate narrative in our story, where we find fulfillment and happiness, then we've got a big problem. Or are we living this gospel-centered story? And that's the challenge, guys. Are we living by that bigger reality of his story, or are we living by something else? Do you remember in Hebrews 11, it mentions all those heroes of faith, doesn't it? Mighty men and women of faith that were living in a different story. 
They were living in a bigger story. They all had their own lives, their own setting, different languages and nations, different political situations. They had their own lives and decisions and challenges that they had to make. But their stories are all impacted by his story. Hebrews 11, it describes, it speaks about them all, and it speaks about how actually, you know, that their longing is for another country because they that they knew that there was something more, that they found their citizenship in heaven. They found their fulfillment in the gospel and their identity in Christ and not in the situation at the time that they were longing for this other country, this heavenly country, looking forward to the cross. It, It impacts, our story impacts the lens through which we see and understand and make decisions. You know, I want to give you, it's quite an emotional example, so I may cry, so bear with me in this. But Jess and I, some of you guys have been on with the story with us. You know that we lo- we've lost over the years t- two babies, William and Benedict. It was um, William's birthday last week. And, you know, it's so hard. But the, the story and the perspective I just want to share with you guys is one of life and death. It can seem a bit morbid, but like the funeral side of things, you know, everyone's going to face death. Everyone's going to know people who are, who are going to die. Well, you know, if your story is one of nothingness, it's one of oblivion, then when death comes, it's just utter hopelessness, utter emptiness. If your story is one of judgment, and I have no idea if there's hope or not, that there's this wrathful God who is going to just hammer me, and maybe he'll be good enough, but I don't know, then that is entering death with immense fear and sorrow. And I'm sure there are other kind of stories around death. But, you know, the, the beautiful thing with Christianity is that, that actually the, Christ has conquered death, hasn't he? He's conquered death. So whilst it's deeply sad and whilst it's right to mourn at a funeral, because there's something just so wrong with death. There's something so wrong with the body dying, the body that, that God has created dying that actually within it, there is still this beauty and this joy because it's not this hopelessness. There is this, actually, guys, the way I see it is it's like a long distance journey. It's like you're going away and I am not going to see you for a long time. But something Jess and I often speak about, we actually did long distance relationship for a long time. For me, for four and a half years, like Jess was in China, I was in the UK, and then I was in Belgium, she was in the UK, and like all this kind of stuff, we were just trying to avoid each other, and then we got married. But there's this beauty in that, because for us, we use that analogy to be like, we can't remember what it was like living in that long-distance relationship. And in the same kind of way, I know that a thousand years from now, there'll be a time where I'll remember. Maybe I'll remember this moment, right? I'll be there with William Bartholomew, we'll be there. And this moment, this moment of separation will seem like a distant memory. And that's the beautiful kind of hope, isn't it? The, the stories are just the stories are, are just so different. If you guys have seen Gladiator, re- remember that when the gladiator dies, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it's very old, you should have already seen it. So like that his his friend, his African friend says like goodbye old friend, he picks the dirt up, he says, I'll see you soon, but not yet. Not yet. And he goes on to live his life. And there's something beautiful in that, that actually, that long-term picture, that great long-term picture of God, that in that, 
is life. And so the story we tell ourselves about everything, and that's just an example about the story we tell ourselves about death, is so important. Are you living by a story the world tells you, by what culture's told you, or by what the gospel says? Because, you know, what I just shared with you is what the gospel says. What story are you living by? Live it out as a gospel-centered story. So now the second part is verse 22 to 29. It says, this is kind of the story of Paul's citizenship. It says, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. Well, that's pretty extreme. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commanders ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty. When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man's a Roman citizen. So he doesn't fully believe the guy. He went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he said. Then the commander said, hey, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. And Paul replies, but I was born a citizen. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he'd put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Guys, this is a passage. Got a number of things in, but we're just going to focus on this issue of identity. That that passage is intrinsically linked with identity. See, we mentioned earlier that people who've got the wrong story can have an identity issue, a self-belief issue because of false stories. Maybe they're told as children or later on in life. Is there a negative story that you guys believe, that you know that it's there? You find it maybe hard to believe another one. But is there a negative story that's there that actually at the end, when we do some response time, that you need a break today, that you need to say, God, I'm letting that thing go. And sometimes it can be a process. It's not like, oh, yeah, we just say a prayer and it's fine. But it's not just about forgetting that story. It's about replacing it with the true story, the story of the gospel, of what he says about you. Guys, if that is you, if you need to replace a false story with a true story, then you need to know that story is everything he said about you. You know those things we said about maybe you're stupid, you're ugly, whatever. You know that If that's a story going on in your heart, the Bible says that Jesus knit you together in your mother's womb, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. It says that you are, as part of the church, that you are his masterpiece. You know, you can't define yourself by what some idiot told you years ago. As powerful as, as it has been, someone who's completely misinformed, we've got to define ourselves by what God says about, about you, not by what man says about you. Not by, as well, the worst thing that we've ever done or the worst thing that has ever been done to us. See, in this passage, we see Paul sharing his identity, doesn't he? I mean, it's pretty useful to share it at that moment because he doesn't get flogged. But he shares, hey, I'm a Roman. Are you going to um, flog a Roman without trial? Why does the commander 
in that moment not believe his story, but probably because Paul isn't doing all the cultural things that make, could make him look like a Roman. Probably at his age at that point, he could be a lot more wealthy, all these kind of trappings. And he looks at him and thinks, actually, look, you're pretty poor. He doesn't look very like a wealthy guy. And, and so the commander says to him, hey, I had to pay a load of money for my citizenship. And Paul says, hey, I was born a Roman. You know, wow. Sharing that story of his identity changes that whole situation. And I just want to share that with you guys, that actually the story of your identity, speaking that out as well, I mean, not being weird about it, but speaking that out, that can change your situation. Say it, like, say it to yourself, declare it to yourself. It can change the situation. And you see these guys, they're actually really freaked out because in that historic context, if you were to imprison or flog a Roman citizen without any kind of trial, massive, massive trouble. Like it's the worst crime that a kind of higher law legal guy could have ever done. A judge, that's what we call them. It changes the situation. The thing that's interesting is as a Roman, you know, you have all these privileges. There's a whole ream of them. Like, for example, there are certain economic privileges that you would have had to do with trade and all this kind of stuff that actually everybody else who wasn't a Roman citizen, who didn't have that identity, would not have. And we could go down a road to do with our, all the privileges and benefits that we have in Christ. I'm not going to do that. But I just want to actually point out something that Paul... Okay? He could have been a wealthy guy. He could have embraced the fullness of that Roman identity. You know, the soldier is pursuing the earthly story of being that citizen of Rome, fitting into that society, being privileged, being the commander. That's the story that he is living by. That's the story his life is centered on. Because if it was on the gospel, he wouldn't just flog a guy before he's even asked him a question. It's like, flog him and then let's ask him a question. He just wouldn't do that. It's not a gospel-centered approach. It's a Roman approach. But Paul, who's got all the privilege, he's got all the privilege. And yet, it's not about his society and culture. That's not what he's pursuing. He, he, he lives in it. He benefits from it to some degree. But it's not what he's pursuing. He's pursuing something far greater, like the guys in Hebrews 11. He's pursuing this heavenly identity, an identity in Christ. This new life that he's been born again into, this new identity, that man reunited with God. And now that's his ultimate identity, that nothing else that could ever come up is greater than that. That he's a child of God. He doesn't even identify with being a murderer of Christians. He's, he doesn't hide it. He says in his testimony, look, I did that. But actually, he never hides. He, he, he doesn't, you know, sulk and hide and stay in his sin. The Roman commander and Paul, they're living completely different stories. Where do you find your identity, guys? Just to, just to end, the story that you're telling yourself and living by will directly impact your identity. If you're telling yourself a story that says what I do and how I do it, that defines my identity. That defines my self-esteem. I'm happy if that's going well. I'm sad if that's going badly. If you define your identity by your bank balance, if you define your identity, here's a challenging one. If you define your identity by your family, by how well they're doing, it's dangerous. Because at some point, it will fail. The job will fail. The, the bank balance will fail. 
No. Imagine putting your identity into kids, right? At some point, they're going to fail, right? They're going to let you down at some point. When it comes to identity, the only sure, stable identity is the one that God gave you. As child of God, heir to the promise, loved by God, who is at peace. One who is living in that total shalom, that total completeness, that wholeness with God. What story are you guys telling yourself today? Because your story is important. The story you tell, the story you're living by is important, but also your history, your past, the, the story that you've lived so far and that which you will go on out of here to live, that is important as well. It can honor God. It can transform lives. And so, guys, we're just going to have a moment as Sarah plays. Just close your eyes. Let's pray. I just, I'm going to just say a few, few things that maybe this is you. Maybe you need to think about these things. What's the story that you are living by today? Do you need to replace that story and start living by a gospel-centered story? Is there, is there a lie there that, that you know that you've been told and that you've believed and you've, you've held on to maybe for decades that you need to, in, just in prayer now, just say, God, I just give this to you. And it may, take, it may take a number of days, it may take a number of weeks to stay on that. God, I give this to you. I'm a child of God. That this isn't my identity. My identity is beloved by the Father. My identity is beautiful. My identity is strong. My identity is, God, you've knit me together in my mother's womb. So how could anything about me be less than great? Meditate, guys, on how to get the gold out of another, how to encourage people. You know, there's that quote by Teddy Roosevelt that says, um, comparison is the thief of joy. And so often when we compare ourselves with others and see that people doing great, we can feel that envy or whatever. Like, love does not envy, does it? Love doesn't envy. But dwell on how we can lift others up Call the gold out of one another's stories. Who's the author of your life? Who's the guides before you? Have you decided to put the authorship of your life in his hands? And I know many people here, they have. But then have you decided every day when you wake up, God, Lord, what, what shall I do? Lord, here's, here's the pen. I want to walk hearing your voice super closely. Not, not the voice of the email or the phone or the WhatsApp more loudly than your voice. Not through distraction, God, but Lord, lead me into the next steps of my story for your glory, God. For your glory that people would come to know you. That I would bring the joy into this world. Come, Holy Spirit.
Yes, Jesus. Yeah, Father God, Lord, I just thank you, God, that you are King of Kings, that you are Lord of Lords. Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you for stories, tough stories, beautiful stories, stories of beauty, stories of, of you coming through in the most darkest places of the world, God. Lord, stories of normality in the mundane and you bringing joy and peace into our lives, God. Lord, I thank you of of every single person's story here and all those things we've spoken about, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just pray you work in each person's heart, in each person's soul and spirit, that they would go out of here. And guys, just listen to this. I just felt this earlier. Just, the Holy Spirit just wants to whisper a thing for you to do. Just take one thing from today. Just take one thing. To go out of here living differently, being different. Father, thank you for the beauty of the mega story that is all wrapped up in your story. That ultimately, God, we, a thousand years from now, will all be with you. In light, God. Lord, that we'll be dwelling with you. No separation. Father, I pray for those who have lost people, God, and who have mourned in a way, Lord, which is just where there is no hope, God. Lord, and I just, Lord, I, I just pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would come and if this is you, just put your hand out. Everyone's eyes are closed. That's all right. No, it's a moment of privacy between you and God. But just, Lord, just Holy Spirit, I just pray you fill them afresh and redo that story, Lord, of death, Lord, that you have swallowed death up in life, God, that in you is life and life everlasting, God. And when you say that, you mean it, Lord. You mean it. That the fact of our bodies stopping working is nothing. Like Pete describes often, our last breath on earth is our first breath in eternity. And the truth is, guys, Lord, if you are in him today, your eternal life has already started. So guys, just as we go into this last song, Lord, we just want to praise you, your name, Jesus. Praise your name, God, for caring about the stories that we've got here, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, that your story speaks of one who gave up all treasures to get the one treasure he didn't have, us, coming to earth and paying the ultimate price so that you and me, guys, could be called his treasure. Yes. In your mighty name, God. Amen. Amen.